Hey, there we are. Good morning. Glad you're with us this morning. And uh, so we launched our Thursday service just a couple days ago. Had a, a great time. And I wanted to remind you that if, like, you're going to be gone next weekend, you don't have to anymore just watch online. You could join us on Thursday. It's the same message and actually the, the same worship set. Really a, a great evening together. Got to meet a, a number of new folks. And uh, so I wanted to remind you that's a, a good opportunity for us to be able to take advantage of on Thursday night. So before we look at the scriptures this morning in Mark chapter 1, let me ask you to think about an encounter with someone or something that you kind of go, yeah, I always remember that encounter. Like, I very distinctly remember my first encounter with a shark when I was snorkeling. I distinctly remember my encounter with the three-foot paddle of my eighth-grade science teacher, shop teacher. I didn't get a good look at it, but it got a good look at me. I remember that encounter. Uh, I distinctly remember my first encounter with a girl in college named Jackie Outlaw, who ended up giving up a really cool last name for a really lame one. (laughs) But can you remember encounters with folks that you go, I'll never forget. I'll never forget my encounter as a soccer coach with an angry soccer mom, which reminded me of my encounter with a rattlesnake in Pennsylvania when I was in high school. Very similar, angry soccer mom and rattlesnake, but very similar. But encounters that we remember, and we all have them, Uh, They stick with us because we learn something about ourselves and something about that individual or that thing in that encounter. That's kind of what sticks with us. And I want us to be thinking about that as we look at Jesus in the Gospel of Mark because as Mark introduced to us Jesus last week, we're going to go through the Gospel of Mark one encounter after another. And as I've studied it, what I've discovered is that's really what the Gospel of Mark is. No speeches, uh, maybe a short one here or there, but it's really one encounter after another. And what was so fascinating to me and why I'm looking forward to our study together is because you would think, well, after you've had one encounter, I mean, how many different ones can you have? Well, there's at least 50 Unique encounters that Jesus has with unique individuals from unique backgrounds with unique needs that in each one we get a sense of what it means to have what we'll be calling this entire series a Jesus encounter. And I love it because, you know, by the time we're finished today, we'll have eleven to 1,200 people who will come through CFC. And to think that there would be a unique encounter that you would have with Jesus. And and an encounter that you would have with Jesus as you see him encounter other folks. So I'm glad you're here. And I want us to look at this first encounter that Jesus has in Mark chapter 1. Last week, if you were with us for Easter... Mark introduced to us Jesus as the Son of God, and he introduced to us Jesus as greater than any who would ever talk about him. And then most powerfully, maybe, he introduced to us Jesus who will baptize by the Holy Spirit. There was a lot of baptism by water, but John the Baptist said, this guy, Jesus, who's the Son of God, is going to do what no man can do, and he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. In other words, by his death on the cross, Jesus will redeem, and the Father will adopt those who were enemies, and they're going to become children. And as children of God, he is going to pour his Spirit into them so that as adopted children, they would share the Father's DNA. That is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So if you have been redeemed, you have trusted in Jesus to be your Savior, You have been two things. You have been adopted by God, and you have been baptized by the Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells within you. That's how we get introduced to Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. Now we have this first encounter. So 
Mark 1, if you have a Bible, if not, it'll be up here on the screen. Verse 9 through 13. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth. Now, why did he come from Nazareth? Because that's where he grew up, okay? So this is Mark transitioning Jesus from where he grew up to beginning his public ministry. Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately, here's what's happened. Coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit, like a dove, descending upon him. And then a voice comes out of the heavens saying, you are my beloved son. So obviously, who is this? Yeah, God the Father. You are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beast and the angels were ministering to him. So in these four short verses, we have actually a number of encounters an encounter Jesus with the Spirit, with the Father, with Satan, and with angels. What's the common denominator? This is Jesus encountering the unseen world. Kind of interesting that the first encounter that Mark gives us with Jesus is his encountering the unseen world, and not just on one dimension, in multiple dimensions. He sees, the, the text says, I'll go through them quickly here. He sees the heavens open. Not like when you step outside and you look up and you see the clouds roll back and blue sky above it. He sees what you and I don't see when we look up into the heavens. He sees the invisible is visible to him in that moment. All right? So he sees the heavens open and he sees the spirit descending. And then he hears... The Father's voice. He doesn't, it doesn't say he sees the Father, but he hears the Father's voice. Third, then, he follows the Spirit's leading. When you look at the parallel text in Matthew chapter 4, it says that the Spirit impelled Jesus to go into the wilderness. So he is following the Spirit's leading by, by the fact that he goes into the wilderness. And then in the wilderness, what happens? He's tempted by Satan for 40 days in the wilderness there. He's then tempted by Satan. And this text tells us that he resists the temptation. He does not yield to the temptation of Satan. And then what happens? That he is ministered to by angels. So we, we've run through them quickly, but, but you see the dimensions of the unseen world. Heavens open. Uh, that there is the visible heavens, what we might think, but then there is the invisible that we can't see. Is it there? We just can't see it? So there's more going on up there than we can see? Uh, he hears the Father's voice. Was he hearing things? Was that a real voice? Uh, he follows the Spirit's leading. That was just an idea. Uh, he's tempted by Satan. Satan just a figurative character in a red suit? Or real? Now, uh, he's ministered to then by angels. Butterflies? See, my point is this. When we think of the unseen, because we so frequently only deal with what we can see, sometimes the skeptic in us asks, if it's unseen, is it real? Or is this just figurative that Mark is beginning? Is this just a, a figurative concept? Is Satan just a concept? Were angels ministering to him just a concept? Or were there really angels who really ministered to him, even though we wouldn't necessarily see them? Is it, are things real, even though they're invisible? Well, it certainly can be true. And, and there's ample evidence. Let me just give you three, what I would simply call the testimony of wind, waves, and freshly made brownies. Because <laughs> the third one is what you're most interested in. Uh, the testimony of wind is this. 
that I can't see it, it's unseen, but there are obviously real results. And many of us have seen this or talked about this. You don't see the wind, but you see the branches moving. So there's a force that's causing them to move even though you can't see it. Do you believe it's there? Well, I believe it's there because I'm seeing obvious results. I couldn't see the, I couldn't literally see the winds of Hurricane Matthew. This, I could literally see in my backyard. And my neighbor, Fred, who I've talked about, he could literally see my trees on top of his house. And my dock now in my backyard. So, was Hurricane Matthew real? Couldn't see it, but I could see that. And you could see what was happening at your place. So that's the testimony of wind. The testimony of my ears proved the reality of invisible sound waves. My ears tell me there's something here, even though I can't see it. So, do something really profound here. Close your eyes. Okay, would you? Would you? Okay, close your eyes now. Listen. All right. Now open your eyes. Now listen. You see the difference? What was the difference? Nothing. <laughs> it doesn't actually matter if your eyes are closed or not. That was just stupid for me to tell you to close. Because it wasn't like, oh, there, there they went. Sound. Uh, isn't this fascinating, though, how God has created you in a way that you have an ability to detect the reality of something that your eyes can't verify. I can't see it. And by the way, if you went, I don't know what just happened, you should go see a doctor tomorrow, right? Because though you couldn't see it, something obviously happened. You heard a doorbell ring. Better than all of that is freshly made brownies. Because what, what happens with freshly made brownies? Ah, I'm actually more tempted by brownies, freshly made brownies, before I see them. While they're still hidden in the box there. And you walk in, you go, ah, that smells really, really good. So uh, I can be tempted. You can be tempted by brownies long before I see them. Now you may go, come on, this is just silly stuff. Well, I don't mean it to be silly. I mean it for this reason, that you would recognize every day your life is filled with things that you will have to acknowledge are real even though your eyes can't detect them. I can't see wind. I can't see sound waves. I can't see brownie aroma, whatever that is. But God has given me senses that can detect the reality of the invisible. So it really is true that invisible does not equate unreal. Now let's take that out of the physical realm and translate that into the spiritual realm. Uh, the idea that there are things that Jesus encounters that you and I can't necessarily see, but watch, God has given us the ability to sense even though we can't see it. The scripture gives us at least five. First, the Holy Spirit brings conviction, the New Testament says, to the unbelieving heart and mind. Conviction. Can you see conviction? No, I can't see it. But has God given you the ability to sense what you can't see? Have you ever sensed conviction? 
Sure. Sometimes you'll see the results like when you'll see tears or you'll see brokenness. You'll see sorrow. You'll hear, I'm sorry. The results of conviction, but conviction is a work of the Holy Spirit. I can't see the Spirit and I can't see conviction, but I can experience it. In fact, unmistakable, long time ago, 10 years old, I experienced this, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It was not the first time I had heard the gospel that Jesus had paid the penalty for my sin. I had heard it many times growing up, going to church, but one time at 10 years old, I heard it like I had never heard it before. Have you ever either said that or actually had someone say to you, it's like I never heard, I know I'd heard it before, but it's like I had never heard it before. Have you experienced that? That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So I'd heard the gospel before, but it was like, not audible, but God pounding on my heart. The result, the visible result was in that situation, I got up out of my seat and I went forward and I made a public profession of trusting in Jesus to be my savior. A friend of mine, a couple years back, was starting to attend the chapel. He had heard the gospel multiple times, but had never received it. On his birthday, he comes to our house and we sit on the pool deck and on his birthday, I took the opportunity to share the gospel with him again. And on this time, when I finished, I said, is there anything that's keeping you from trusting in Jesus? And he says, no. Can we get on our knees right now? And can I invite him into my heart? Well, and I literally mean this. I didn't see that coming. I couldn't see what was happening in him. But for the first time, though he had heard it many times before, for the first time, the invisible but, but very real Holy Spirit was doing an invisible but very real work and in his heart. And he said, I'd like to place my faith in Jesus. And he got, we, both of us, got on our knees and he trusted in Jesus and was born again. He became a new person, not visible, but he became a new person right then. Is that real? See, some people are uncomfortable with, well, I don't know about that because I can't see it. Hey, there's lots of things in life that I know are real, but I can't see. An encouragement for me as a Christ follower now is this. I used to feel tremendous pressure that if I was going to share the gospel with someone, then I need to do it in a way that they would be convinced and they would trust in Jesus. And if they didn't, gah, I failed. But actually, it's been a real joy to go, anytime the Lord gives me an opportunity, and there's lots of opportunities that fill our days, to simply share the hope of Jesus Either the Spirit will bring conviction that time, or he won't. I don't get to call it in. <laughs> I don't get to mandate it. I simply do my part to share, and in his sovereign timing, and who can figure that out? But in his sovereign timing, he brings conviction. It's exactly what Jesus said was intended to happen. Jesus said to his disciples, who are grieving the fact that he said, I'm going to go away. He says, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For I don't, if I don't go away, the helper won't come. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And he, when he comes, he'll bring, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That's what happens. We don't get to program when it happens. And I can't set my iPhone to, you know, let's have conviction at, 7 a.m. or at uh, 10.15 on Sunday morning, Lord, would you bring some conviction? I can ask, but he chooses. But I want to say 
really to you this morning. God has given you, I can't explain it, but God has placed in your heart spiritual ears, or if you will, that, that at some point you're going to know he is pounding on your heart. Don't resist him. Say yes. Yield to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He is convicting you of sin or your lack of righteousness or of judgment to come that you would be born again, that you would have a relationship with him. Sometimes we're afraid. We run. We're like Jonah in the Old Testament. We know what God's saying, but we run the other direction as fast as we can. Don't run. Say, yes, Lord. You're speaking in a way that I know. So the Holy Spirit is real. He brings conviction to the unbelieving. For those who are born again, uh, like I was when I was 10, like my buddy on my pool deck, at that point, then the Holy Spirit lives in. And he not only goes from a very real, invisible, but outside person that brings conviction to now a person who dwells within. Paul says it this way in his own testament. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's weird, right? And you think about it. If you say to somebody, well, this person lives in me. That's just, that's weird. But I do appreciate the deeper thought that says, if Jesus lives in me, I hope he likes enchiladas because that's what he's getting. (laughs) Does the Spirit of God dwell within you? If you've been born again, he, he, a person, the Holy Spirit lives in you for very specific reasons. He lives in you. The scripture says, for one, to lead you, to lead you, that you would experience the leading of the Holy Spirit. Paul says to the Galatians, if we live by the Spirit, if we've been made new and the Spirit dwells within him, if we live in let us also walk by the Spirit. In other words, we walk with the agreement that we go where he says. He sets the direction. He sets the pace. He gives the enablement. The Holy Spirit lives within me to lead me. The Holy Spirit lives within me to speak to me, to remind me. Again, in the upper room. See, you got to understand context here. The, the verse I'm about to read you, so profoundly different for the folks that he's speaking to. His 12 disciples have only known him as a real person that they could touch and speak to and see and hear. And he's telling them, I'm going to go away, but it's to your advantage. Because why? Because the Holy Spirit will come and he will live within you. And he will not only live within you, here's what he'll do. The Father send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. See, the, the Spirit dwelling in you, folks, is the, is the reminder that God has called you to a very real relationship with himself. It's a relationship where he speaks to you and you speak to him. He says, go here, and you submit or you grieve and you go the other direction. There's a real relationship where he brings to your mind This is why often men will say, well, my Holy Spirit, my wife's like the Holy Spirit, meaning she reminds me of stuff that I'm forgetting. See, what's happening here is Jesus is demonstrating as he, the Son of God, would live on earth, wrapped in human flesh, that he would live in relationship with a very real but invisible heavenly father who would speak to him and a Holy Spirit who would lead him. And that is the relationship that you and I are invited into. It's not 
go to church. It's not like, well, try not to be a bad person. It's not, well, just try to be a better husband or wife or father or mother or friend or be a better person. It's, it's a relationship. So th- think about your own day in, day out. Do you live in relationship with God? A sense where you talk to him. He speaks to you. You have a thought and you go, thank you, Lord, for bringing that to mind. Where you're, you're not, like, not sure what to do and how to handle a, a coworker or how to handle something. And you go, Lord, I need you to direct me. And you invite him to speak to you. And, and when he does, you say, yes. Do you have a living relationship with Jesus? Because what Jesus is demonstrating is that he had a living relationship with the Father and the Spirit as the Son of God wrapped in human flesh. And that living relationship didn't just engage the Father and the Spirit. It was beyond that. He interacted with angels. And we may interact with angels and never, never know it. Some of you might think, well, in fact, for our follow-up application questions that I sent out on Thursday, uh, I asked, do you think you ever encountered an angel? And so my friend Jeff here sends me back an email and says, hey, that really hit close to home because my wife Elizabeth is like an angel. <laughs> so he was definitely trying to get points with you. So <laughs> points. Which really made me feel badly because he sent that to me on Friday and Thursday night service. I had specifically said, Jackie is no angel. So talking about killing me, dude. Now, I've never thought, oh, Jackie's an angel because she is not a stranger. And here's what the text says. Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For By this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. That sounds wacky. But there is really, genuinely, a spiritual world that we don't see that is real, and sometimes we do see it but don't know what we are seeing. Is that possible? I think so. In fact, one of the things that I think is so vital for we who call ourselves the body of Christ is that we wouldn't be people who get comfortable ignoring strangers. And sometimes in the church, we're like really good at that because we get the people that we know. We show up and we walk in. There's like 100 people out there in the courtyard and we spot somebody that we know and we always talk to the people we know. And it's, it's great to have family. But in the process, sometimes in our commitment to always to only talk to the people we know, we end up walking by strangers. And and when the text says that sometimes we're walking by angels, I think that's not only really literally true. What I take from that as well is that when I walk by a stranger, I, I am walking by potentially what God is doing in somebody's life, and I'm completely missing it. We think too easily about hospitality as cookies with friends when the word literally means the love of strangers. So I want to encourage us again. God is working in ways we don't see. Sometimes profoundly so. And one of the ways that we can engage in working and join in God that we may not know what he's doing is by engaging with strangers. I would encourage you Before you get in the car today to drive home, meet somebody that may be strange to you. Really. Um, Today, uh, between first and second hour, I met Arlene right here, and I met Emily in the back. Sorry, South, I didn't meet anybody over there. But uh, try to meet folks. And I would encourage you to, because you never know what God may be doing when you meet 
It may may go nowhere. That's no big. That's no big. What you want to do is go, I don't want to walk by what God might be doing just because I can't see it. Fourth, children of God are to be alert to an invisible enemy who wants to destroy them. Is Satan real? Not just a figure of speech. Real? Yes. But understand, and we don't have enough minutes to do an understanding of here's everything that the Bible says about Satan. But we do know this about Satan. Satan is not like God. He is not omnipresent nor omnipotent. In other words, he doesn't know everything and he can't be everywhere. So when we think of Satan tempting Jesus. It literally was Satan tempting Jesus. But Satan can't be everywhere tempting everybody at the same time. We'll see as we do the encounters of Jesus throughout the Gospel of Mark that Satan has demons, what you might think of God's angels, Satan's demons. They also can't be everywhere. They can only be at a specific place, and they don't know everything. And then there's the flesh that we have that tempts us to disobey what the Lord would want for us and to do our own thing. When Peter says that we need to be alert to an invisible enemy who wants to destroy us, he says in 1 Peter 5.8, Be of sober mind, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Is it possible that Satan could be in this room right now? Yes, it's possible. But this would be the one place he could be on the planet right now. But there could be his demonic forces at work in this room. Possible, right? We couldn't see it, but could it be here? Yes, and so... Don't misunderstand, when Peter saying that be of sober mind, be on the alert, your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, that there is nothing to fear if they're in terms of temptation, if it's not Satan specifically. What we will see as we go through the gospel of Mark is person after person who is life is being devoured by demons. And people's lives are being devoured by their yielding to the temptation of the flesh. It's real. And Paul reminds us that we should, or excuse me, Peter here reminds us that, that we should recognize that there is one who wants to destroy us. Who hates you because he hates your God. Paul says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Sometimes that's the way we act, though. Jackie and I, regrettably, sometimes we act like our struggle is against flesh. It's against one another. You probably have had this if you're married. You've had this in your marriage where it's, you are clashing. And it's been an important lesson for she and I to recognize that though we may be disagreeing, we are not one another's enemy, but that we do have an enemy who hates us and wants to destroy us. And so... Literally, and I would encourage you in this direction, there literally is an appropriate time and place in a marriage disagreement where harmful, sinful words are being spoken and sinful actions being carried out for somebody, one of the two of you, to call time out and say, stop, whoa, we don't hate one another. We're acting like it right now, but we actually want the same thing. 
We both love Jesus. We disagree about this right now, but we both love Jesus. We want the same thing, but there is someone who hates us and he's really enjoying what we are doing right now. You simply got to call time out and acknowledge the battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against something very real though, just not visible. But it's against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. See, there is genuine spiritual battle that goes on in this room. It's going on over in South. It goes on when you go through your day. It goes on when you open your Bible and read. Because when you read the scriptures, the Spirit of God, if you've been born again, dwells within you. He wants to speak to you. He wants you to respond yes to him. But then there are both your flesh and spiritual forces that are going, no, no, don't respond to him. No, that will cost you. That's risky. You better not. I mean, how many of us have known that the Spirit of God has called us to take a step, but instead we've stepped back instead of stepped forward? That's a spiritual battle going on. And God is calling us to take a step forward into what he promises will be abundant life. And there are very real, though invisible, forces, including our flesh, that are calling us to step back (laughs) that will actually lead to our destruction. One of the powerful realities is we'll encounter Jesus through the gospel is there's a spiritual warfare that goes on. And we shouldn't be freaked out or obsessed with it, but we should be aware, sober and alert that as this text, if we were to study this full text in Ephesians 6, would be, would be to say that our weapon in that moment is to, is to pray in the name of Jesus, that we would identify that our battle is not against our spouse, it's not against our kids, it's not against our boss, it's not against our neighbor. It's against the one who hates us because who hates our God, and therefore we resist them. But listen... I know for me, and so it's probably true for you, that sometimes we forget because we don't see. And we simply engage what we can see. And we fight the wrong battles. And I genuinely think that what's happening in the Gospel of Mark is that Mark is giving our first encounter with Jesus to be a spiritual encounter Because every encounter that will happen thereafter will almost always be with a physical, visible person. But the battle actually won't be against the person. It will be a spiritual battle that was first encountered by Jesus in his temptation and the ministering work of angels and the voice of the Father. You see, it's captured for us. The real battle captured for us in the first encounter. We're simply going to see visible results going forward. Some of us have fallen asleep. Or we're fighting the wrong things. We're making the wrong people bleed. Battle's not against flesh and blood. It's against that. The promise to those of us who are believers is that no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. Now, lots of us say, no, that's not true. (laughs) There's a liar telling you that, no, that's not true. I've been tempted beyond what I've been able. But the, the promise is that you haven't been tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. Now, don't miss this. No, it says, the way of escape so that you'll be able to endure it. Notice, the way of escape is not a removing of the temptation. Because if the temptation was removed, then you wouldn't be any need to endure. So the temptation is there, but you're not yielding. So what is the way of escape if it's not removing the temptation? 
Watch, here's what Peter says. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence. So when you and I are tempted to greed or to lust or to sinful anger, we're tempted towards jealousy or envy, when we are tempted and that temptation is not taken out of the way, it can feel overwhelming. But it's not beyond what we're able because the way of escape is not the removal of the temptation. The way of escape is the person of the Holy Spirit. His divine power has granted to us everything we need for life and for godliness. So the way of escape is always present. This is why we're not tempted beyond what we're able, because the Spirit of God dwells within us, and the true knowledge of him will always be sufficient in the midst of temptation to endure, to say no. That is why Jesus, tempted by Satan himself in the wilderness, in each and every case, responds with the true knowledge of God. He responds by Scripture that he has memorized, and he speaks it out loud. Men who were on the retreat, we talked very specifically, very directly about memorizing Scripture, and in the moment of temptation, speaking it out loud as the way of escape. It is the divine power his spirit and his word, the divine power that allows us to live godly lives. Hey, it's real. We all know temptation's very real. We feel it. We, we have those inceptors of, these receptors of invisible temptation. But we don't have to yield to it. It's never too much because of his indwelling power. So the scripture declares that the spirit of God and the word of God for all who are the children of God is sufficient to overcome every temptation. Jesus set the example. So I know that's your last blank. Let me give you a bottom line summary. You don't need to write it down, but here's what I hope we'll take away. I believe the unseen world is real. Do you? Okay, th this is what you're going to have to wrestle with. Do you believe that there's an unseen world real? Jackie and I have very distinct remember, memory. We're talking about memorable encounters. The very first Halloween when our oldest son, Clayt, was born as a baby. Born September 24th, so he was, what, five weeks old? Not a typical crybaby. That night... There was hysteria that had not been true in five weeks. And we came to the conclusion. We, didn't, we couldn't see it, but something spiritual, invisible, was going on in that little baby's bedroom. Now, I'm not saying there's a demon under every rock. But I'm saying I believe that this, there's an unseen world that is real and that is active. It's not just past tense. It's not just what used to be when Jesus was around. It's active in our present day. Satan still is real. Demons are still real. The flesh is still real. Angels are still real. The Holy Spirit is still real. And all of them are acting, active. They are acting. They're working. So I believe the unseen world is real. It's active and it deserves my attention. This is a wake-up call for us to not be asleep, to not be obsessed, but to be attentive to what is going on, to be attentive the next time you're genuinely in a fight with your spouse, to stop and name the enemy for who it really is. And instead of being divided, have your heart united in resisting the one who genuinely hates you. Instead of fighting with your kids and being against your kids to unite your hearts and saying, no, we have an enemy who hates them. Let's pray together. So attentive. So that I can do two things. Respond to truth. It's real. 
active deserves my attention so that I will begin to learn to hear. There's been those moments where it's, right? And then there's these moments. If you learn to hear the, the prompting of the Spirit, to respond with a yes, and to resist the father of lies. See, there's, there's both sides in the spiritual world. There's both sides in the unseen, but very real. And so I want to say yes to truth, but resist the father of lies. But n- none of it's going to happen unless I become attentive because I believe it's real and it's active. So in a, in a unique way, I want us to pray together. I'm going to invite the band to come up. It's not a closing song. It's something that I hope will be our prayer in this moment. And it will be the prayer that you will sing to the Lord throughout the coming weeks. And here's the simple line. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Now watch. Typically, when we think, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here, we think, here. That's not what we mean. Watch. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So what you are simply saying, I believe that the Spirit of God is real. He's active. And I want to say to him, not just today, just not the morning, but throughout my days, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. I I want to be responsive to you. So I invite you to declare this as a prayer. At some point, you may stop singing and say, Lord, you're welcome, and I want to listen. It's good to be quiet before the Lord and listen. But let's declare this as an invitation personally to him. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be overcome by your presence, Lord. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. Nothing can compare your living hope, your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves, where my heart becomes free. My shame is undone. Your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory. experience the glory of your goodness let us become more aware 
of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Help us become more aware of your presence. Help us experience the glory of your scriptures this week. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. You sit down with your family. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. In the moment of temptation or anger, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. When the scripture says, uh, when we declared in that song, uh, your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. When is he most glorified? (laughs) When he's welcome here. So, Father, I pray that that your spirit would bring that tune to our heart's reminder countless times in the coming weeks. That you would hear your children spread across this city with that very real active sense and invitation. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. That it would be to the fullness of our joy and to the praise of your glory in Christ's name. Amen. If we can pray with you, just always want to say again, if the Spirit of God has said something to your heart, if there's a temptation, some of the way you would want us to pray with you, there's always men and women available out the back here, over in south, out the back uh, left. There's opportunity to, to pray. And so we'd love to do that with you. We also have a guest reception this morning out in the courtyard If you're new to CFC and we haven't met you, we don't want you to be a stranger. We'd love to meet you, so I encourage you to stop by there. God bless.